In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we cracked the door on an extremely controversial teaching. The Christian life is not about you. As Christians, we know that this is what the Bible teaches, but boy, is that hard for our sinful flesh to hear. But hear it again today, we must. Our sinful flesh needs to be reminded that we are baptized children of God, that we are now walking in the light of the gospel, and that our, our, our entire identity flows from who Jesus is and what he's done for us in his cross and in his resurrection. This gospel is for you, but it is not about you. There's a difference. The gospel is about Jesus' ongoing work of reconciling sinners to the Father. Of course, that includes us. But as sinners who have been reconciled and freed from sin, death, and the devil, our task is now to learn what that freedom in the gospel means. And so, I once again give you this summary of St. Paul's teaching from these two chapters, from 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 9. I give you a summary of what he's saying from Dr. Martin Luther in one of his treatises. This is what he says. A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So, that first part. Before God, you have been granted the very righteousness of Christ. You are free from any obligation of the law because Christ has fulfilled it completely on your behalf. In Christ, you are no longer subject to anything or anybody. The work is done through Jesus' atoning death for you. Thanks be to God. Amen? That's good news. We call this gift, we call this gift passive righteousness. This is what you receive by faith. It's not, you know, you're not doing anything to earn it. You're, you are simply receiving it as a, a, a passive recipient. And you rest in its sufficiency for your salvation. You are secure in your status before God. Passive righteousness. But in this life, God calls us to loving service towards our neighbors, where faith is busy in love, where faith is doing stuff, where faith is bearing fruit and blessing others. That's called active righteousness. That's the dutiful servant part of Luther's quote. That's the stuff that 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 9 is teaching. This active righteousness, this being a dutiful servant to others because of Christ. So in chapter 8, we heard Paul tell the Corinthians that they needed to use their Christian freedom in service of their fellow Christians. They wanted to know if they were permitted to eat meat sacrificed to idols. 
given that they knew that these gods that, were, that the meat was sacrificed to weren't real. They had the right theology, but they had the wrong application. They had the right to eat meat. But the more important question they needed to ask was whether this eating was good for the conscience of their brother. To me, this is one of the most difficult things to practice. We all like the way it sounds, but doing it? Not eating or drinking something for the sake of my brother? Setting aside my own preferences to to avoid making a fellow Christian stumble? Proactively telling myself no when I know very well that the Bible doesn't explicitly tell me no? For love? That's hard. It's hard for me. I don't know about you. I'm assuming it is. But this is exactly what Paul is getting at. And he doesn't back off in chapter 9. He, he doubles down. And i got to tell you, he literally puts his money where his mouth is. He shows the Corinthians how he himself has set aside his freedoms for the sake of others, all because of the love of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Now, I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the service, I've got several copies of the scriptures here. I want you to have a Bible in your hands today, whether that's on your phone app or whether it's one of these, whatever. Pick up a copy of the scriptures. If you're using this pew Bible, it's on page 957. Turn with me to this text right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, page 957 in the pew Bible. First off, our our reading today picks it up in verse 16. This is based on uh, the lectionary reading of of our church calendar. But the whole first part of this chapter is key. He takes those first 15 verses to establish his own rights as an apostle and to earn his living by the gospel. So basically what he's saying is that Ministers of the gospel ought to get paid. That's literally what he's saying in the first 15 verses. He, he, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy in there. He says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What's that about? Well, when you're, when you're plowing the, fi- the field and you're treading out that grain, it would be cruel for you to put a muzzle on that ox because the ox needs to eat, right? So you let that ox eat as it goes. Otherwise, you're not going to have any grain. See? It's good and right for Christians to pay the pastors and workers in the church. And that's probably why those first 15 verses aren't in our lectionary. Because it probably wouldn't make for good preaching. Let's be honest. But called workers have the right to earn their living by the gospel. That's in verse 14. But in the case of the Corinthians, Paul thought it better for him to forego his God-given right in the gospel for the sake of the gospel. So hear him from the beginning in verse 16. Here's here's what he says. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. 
Remember where Paul came from. He was a diehard Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day. From the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. So he did the Torah way better than you and I ever could. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So he was willing to take up arms to defend the cause of the, of the Jewish faith. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Can anybody say that about yourself? Blameless under the law? No. Paul did. He studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem in various disciplines. He was one of the he is one of the best and brightest that you are ever going to meet in heaven. A brain this size, okay? Paul was not Peter or the other fishermen. This guy was a first round pick. He had every reason to boast in the flesh, every reason to boast in his own works and in his own accomplishments. So what became of them? He counted them all as rubbish for the sake of Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Why? What happened? Well, the risen and ascended Lord came and knocked him down and Jesus essentially said, you're mine now. You'll suffer for my sake, but you'll know the love of God and you'll know the power of my death and resurrection. And so was Paul in this for the money? No way. He's not compelled by that at all. He, he even took up the vocation of tent making to prove his point. He's compelled by the love of Christ. So was him taking a paycheck from the Corinthians going to be a potentially, uh, 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 something that could potentially cause them to stumble? Was it going to be a stumbling block in them knowing Christ? Maybe. So it wasn't all that important to him, even though it was his right. He would find provision some other way. You see, Paul is not content just to tell other Christians that they ought to, they ought to lay down their rights and their freedoms at times to accommodate others. He literally puts his money where his mouth is. So even today, we see ministers and pastors work for next to nothing, and, and, and many even turn down compensation at times when they feel it's necessary. And I promise you won't hear about that in the news. You won't. And what's the point of it all? Now he's getting there. Pick it up. Pick up your Bible. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. You guys remember last week? Last week, your weaker brother, right? The one for whom Christ died. Paul, he brings it full circle here, doesn't he? To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Look at verse 19. He sounds like Luther there, doesn't he? Oh, okay, actually, we know now where Luther gets this idea. He gets it from Paul, right? Paul says he makes himself a servant to all so that he might win more of them. Compelled by the love of Christ. Because Paul sees himself as a servant to all, he sees it as his duty to accommodate himself to meet people where they are. So, here's what that looks like. He kind of spells it out a little bit. If he's among his fellow Jews, he's happy to keep the Jewish festival days, even though, uh, because of Christ, they are unnecessary. If he's among the Gentiles, he'll lay that stuff aside. This is not Paul being fake or phony, by the way. This is not Paul compromising the message. This is not Paul compromising his theology and his doctrine and what he knows to be true in the gospel. This is him conforming his life to Christ, who for our sake became what we are to share with us in the blessings of the gospel. I'm willing to bet that your whole life you've been told to be yourself. Do you know what the most Googled word in 2023 was? Nobody's going to guess. <laughs> There's infinite words out there, right? Authentic. Authentic. We are always in this pursuit of realness, of authenticity. We're in this pursuit of our true selves. But what has ended up happening is we've all developed main character syndrome. Where the universe revolves around us and everyone else is just a bit player in our grand story. We've been taught that wearing our emotions on our sleeves is somehow virtuous. We say asinine things like, well, that's just who I am. As if to say, Good luck putting up with me because I'm not going to be bothered to change at all. But Scripture reminds us that we've been set free from the pursuit of our true selves. Why? Because our true selves is bound up with Christ, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. Do you want to know who you are? Look at Christ. In Him you find your true self. What is God's goal for you in your Christian life? It's to make you more like Christ and less like that sinful old Adam that you used to be. Right? So the Christian pursuit is not one of authenticity or, the, or our true self. Here's, here's the pursuit instead. Pick it up again in verse 24. 24. Do you not know that... It, in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This 
short section right here is actually Paul accommodating himself to the Corinthians because he's referring to the Ismian games. Paul lived in Corinth for two years. He probably would have attended these games. These are second in history only to the Olympics. I mean, we're talking uh, wrestling, boxing, running, uh, uh, jumping, all these types of sports, or what would have passed for sports back then. That's what Paul's referencing here. Maybe he didn't like these sports. We don't know. But the people in the church probably did. And so Paul uses them to point people to Christ so that he may share in the blessings of the gospel with them. They had an imperishable wreath. They had a crown of life awaiting them. They had the freedom of knowing that they were co-heirs with Christ. They are not boxing like they're just beating against the air. They're not doing something that's completely pointless. Their prize was assured. Their goal was assured. And so is yours. Your crown is assured. Your goal is secure in Christ. So, Christian, be who you are in Christ. Don't be the old man. That man is dead. Drown in the waters of baptism. You, however, are raised to the newness of life and the life that you now live. You live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. So now the way that you make decisions, now the way that you live your life, now the way that you love and serve your neighbor, you ask yourself this question, is this the, new, is this the old man talking right here? In that case, we say no. We say, no, I'm going to say no to you, old man. Or is this the new man in Christ? Is this who God has made me to be in him? You are now compelled by the love of Christ. Of course, you have your own unique individuality. You have your own unique giftedness. But the reason that God has given that to you is to use it in service of the gospel so that you may share in its blessings with others. See your neighbor not as some bit player or as an extra in your own personal biopic, but as someone to love and serve. Someone who has a soul, someone who needs Jesus just as much as you do. Who are those people in your life? Those are your neighbors. What are the ways that God has put before you that you may be compelled by the love of Christ in love towards them? Are you a dutiful servant to them? Are you able to set aside those things that are unique to you? Your agenda, your wants and needs, your desires. Are you able to set those things aside without compromising your faith so that you may love them? Your baptismal identity says that you are able. So do it. Go and do it. 
Because this is who, this is who Christ came to make you. He came to conform you to his image. So let all of our sinful flesh hear again today that this is not about us. It's about Jesus who set aside his very real rights, his very real privileges as the Lord of the universe. It's about Jesus who became incarnate to accommodate himself to us, to be our brother. He took on flesh so that he may be like us in every way, yet without sin. He took on flesh so that he may be pierced for our transgressions, so that every ounce of hatred and disregard we've had for our neighbors would be completely wiped away. Once you served only yourself and your former father, the devil. But now you've been set free. You've been set free from his tyranny. You've been, fret, you've been set free from your own self-tyranny. Now you've been given true freedom in your true Father's kingdom. Remember who you are. Look to Christ, who has shown you in his death what this freedom means. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,